Welcome to Risking Enchantment, a podcast about art, beauty, and the Catholic faith. Hosted by Rachel Sherlock. Hello and welcome to Risking Enchantment. For this week's episode, you've got myself, Rachel Sherlock, and joining me for the first time in a little while is Maria Connolly. Hello. And this time you are sans baby. (laughs) (laughs) For the first time in a long time. (laughs) It's good. As much as I love having Alethea here, it's definitely going to make my life so much easier with the editing. (laughs) Talk about my life. (laughs) When you were here for the Newman podcast, it was great and we had so much great content and she was great, but there was so much like snuff. And, <laughs> and it wasn't me, I swear. <laughs> it's so exciting to have you here. We are super pumped up for the start of the year, and that is actually going to be what we're talking about for this episode. We're going to be talking about spring. The season is coming in, it's really bright, there's stretch in the evenings. Our weather still isn't like amazing. We've got like a storm coming this weekend at the moment, but well that's Ireland for you. <laughs> yeah. But you can definitely feel like the sun getting brighter, the days getting yeah. longer. The days getting longer makes a big difference here. And And technically, it's already spring in the Irish liturgical calendar, because according to, I don't know if it's ancient legend or country folklore or what, but the first day of spring is actually considered to be St. Bridget's Feast Day. Which is the 1st of February. So I always get very excited on the 1st of February and change out all my clothes and get out all my (laughs) like short sleeve shirts. And my husband's always shaking his head and saying... No, no. <laughs> like the it's snow no, is about no. to start. Just, just keep your coat on the rack, dear. Like. You're being very optimistic. <laughs> I always am. Every year. Um, but I think it's nice to take some time to talk about spring. I feel like winter, you've got Christmas and people love that like wintry feel. I feel like now... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And I feel like autumn has become its own like marketing brand at this oh, yeah. point. You know, your pumpkin spice latte. And yeah. <laughs> your cozy cable knits. And like, don't get me wrong, I love it but the marketing is a little intense at this point and then obviously summer is everybody enjoys being able to go outside without seven layers on exactly but for spring I think between the fact that the weather is can be kind of hit and miss so you don't know what you're getting for spring but also even from like for Catholics because we've got Lent there is this sort of penitential aspect to the season to getting your house cleaned yeah dusting off the cobwebs of your soul and your house (laughs) exactly so I feel like there's maybe not the same kind of rejoicing at the season of spring and so I think it's just nice to give it a bit of attention see what we can take from spring and and what we're enjoying and uh, obviously the most important thing about the season is that you can go back outside (laughs) (laughs) it depends on where you live my parents have snow they live in um, upstate Michigan uh, upper peninsula and they have snow all the way through sometimes through the 4th of July So spring doesn't really exist for some people, but it does in your heart. And that's what we're (laughs) going to be talking about in this podcast, more the idea of spring and and nature in particular. Yeah, Um, exactly. And I think, like I said, the weather in Ireland doesn't tend to get so dramatic that you can't go outside at all. But the thing that we really miss is the daylight hours. Certainly in the middle of winter, it it gets pretty dark around 4 p.m. here. Yeah, I think we're on the same latitude as Nova Scotia in Canada. (laughs) So we don't have the same kind of extreme temperature. But, no. but we do have the, the dark, dark Yeah, days and you really winter. notice it if you're at school or if you're working, like the idea of that, like leaving work and it not being completely dark yeah. is very exciting. But yeah, so we were thinking about this, the, the renewal of nature and this of going back into nature and spending time in nature as as something that we should cultivate, not only as humans, but as Christians. And that it is so important for us to 
encounter the countryside and the rural side and the wild side of life. Um, I was saying to Maria, I grew up in the countryside, that's where my parents live, and so I think in some level in my head I'm like, oh, well, of course I spend time in nature. Um, but, you know, I've been living in a city for five, even six years, uh, and so in taking it for granted I noticed that I actually wasn't getting outside that much. And even like outside, like, you know, cityscapes, streets, things like that, that like I wasn't really encountering nature. And so this year, actually, one of my big resolutions, and I don't do like very obvious strict resolutions, but my kind of goal for the year is to spend two things, to spend more time in nature and to spend more time in silence. And those things go really hand in hand because we all love a good walk where you put on maybe an amazing Risking Enchantment podcast <laughs> or some great music or something like that. And that's obviously <clears throat> wonderful. And great but there is something about like really connecting with your surrounds and your environments and letting you sink into that natural space and not have any distractions and I think Maria you're going to say like not even have any goals of where you're walking to that yeah. ability to wander Meander. <laughs> yeah and to just go for the sake of going and that's some an art we've lost I think in in modern life I I've lived my whole life in cities and I've always yearned after the idea of the countryside. And I think a lot of us that have lived in cities and that do live in cities do feel like we're missing something in our lives. And if you look at classical literature, nature is so prevalent. And for a lot of us, our experiences of nature have a lot to do with the literature and the books that we've read, the stories that we've read. Think of children's literature, mm -hmm. of talking animals, and, and, and yeah. you know, I think of the wind in the willows. Or... Yeah, I was saying, I don't know whether I can make it through any kind of, like, nature-themed podcast without m mentioning Brambley Hedge. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think we can. Like, I mean, it's too iconic. And that's the thing, nature is prevalent in our human experience, and our cultural experience. But in modern city life, we've lost being in touch with nature and as a city girl myself who secretly longs to be a country girl um I think there are some ways that we can we can make an effort to get more in touch with God's creation um, yeah and I think it's interesting one of the things that I have a personal interest in and try to do more and more reading I don't do heaps but I'd like to do more is I follow a lot of things on even urban planning and what it means to build in a way that is sort of human scale and beneficial for humans, even within cities and having green spaces. And then also just the, the impacts of why we should be investing in our countryside and this idea of cultivating a, like a landscape that is, whether city or rural, is beneficial to humans. And so I love reading about that. And one of the articles that I came across that was one of the reasons I kind of really wanted to do this podcast. It's not a religious article at all. It's it's just an article about why walking helps us think. And it was in The New Yorker recently. I've got a quote from it here. And it's funny because even, even in that, they're really tying it to literature and to our imagination. Since at least the time of peripatetic Greek philosophers, many other writers have discovered a deep, intuitive connection between walking, thinking, and writing. How vain it is to sit down and write when you have not stood up to live, Henry David Thoreau penned in his journal. Methinks that the moment my legs begin to move, my thoughts begin to flow. Thomas de Quincey has calculated that William Wordsworth, whose poetry is filled with tramps up mountains, through forests and along public roads, walked as many as 180,000 miles in his lifetime, which comes to an average of six and a half miles a day, starting from the age of five. 
That's impressive, right? (laughs) I thought I walked a lot. (laughs) And then it goes on to say, what is it about walking in particular that makes it so amenable to thinking and writing? The answer begins with changes to our chemistry. When we go for a walk, the heart pumps faster, circulating more blood and oxygen, not just to the muscles, but to all the organs, including the brain. Many experiments have shown that after or during exercise, even very mild exertion, people perform better on tests of memory and attention. Walking on a regular basis also promotes new connections between brain cells, staves off the usual withering of brain tissue that comes with age, increases the volume of the hippocampus, a brain region crucial for memory, and elevates levels of molecules that both stimulate the growth of new neurons and transmit messages between them. And the article goes on to talk about how both that like even city walking is better than no walking at all, but that and and that it's better for like accurate thinking, but that when you're walking in nature they have done studies which show that you have like more creative thinking or that you can come up, they gave them tests of like come up with metaphors and that like if you walked in nature, you were able to see so much more of the kind of tenuous and wandering connections between things, which I just think is so interesting that, you know, getting out for a walk is so important. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about how it can be so important for like speaking with God Mm. that you know this ability to get out of our space and go for a walk and think and think new things and see connections and maybe even like see the perspective God has on a situation and approach him in that way yeah no that's great it just makes me think as well of um I think a lot of the themes that we're going to be touching on during this podcast are very romantic in the sense of like the romantic era of literature and I just love that about our faith that we we have what I feel like is the ultimate form of so many different schools of thoughts and so many different approaches to the world. Yeah. And if you look at the romantic approach to the world, the idea of the flaneur or the walker, or yeah. the observer, the, the person, normally a man, okay. Um, <laughs> but we can do it too, ladies. Oh, if, if it's a lady, it's a flaneur. <laughs> uh, oh, excuse me. I'll brush up on my French over here. Um, but the idea of the observer, the casual observer that walks through life watching. Mm-hmm. And that idea of walking, of, of observing, of being a student in the school of creation, in the school of, of the world, instead yeah. of being the master or the, the organizer, the sorter, the yeah. controller. And that's something that we're going to talk about as well. But the idea that that nature, that the sublime can bring us to God, um, and that it's not just bringing us to a sublime to spiritual experience with a vague kind of energy about it that the yeah. romantics would have uh, believed in, but it's bringing us to a person with a face yeah. and a name and an incarnation. And that's where like the idea of nature as being something real and tangible, something that we smell and touch and see and feel yeah. with our senses and our body. The idea that walking physical activity can bring us to a spiritual activity which is prayer and soul seeking and even mental functioning is something that's fundamentally Catholic, that union of body and soul. Um, I just think that's really, really cool how our religion can take romantic ideas. And I mean, like in the romantic era sense and bring them to the next level, make them that much better. Um, I think, I think John Paul II would have really agreed with that. Like, you know, he had that whole thing of bringing people into the mountains and letting them experience it. I think I have like... Frasati as well, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, Pure Giorgio Frasati was all into his hikes. Definitely. I think I have a quote from JP2 where he says, uh, help your members also to be contemplatives, to enjoy ever more deeply in their mind the message of creation, in contact with the beauties of mountains in the face of the spectacular grandeur of the peaks, the fields of snow and the immense landscapes. Man enters into himself and discovers 
service that the beauty of the universe shines not only in the framework of the exterior heavens, but also that of the soul that allows itself to be enlightened and seeks to give meaning to life. From the things that it contemplates, in fact, the spirit is lifting up to God on the breath of prayer and gratitude towards the creator. Yeah, and that's and what you're saying about walking and and seeing things that could remind you of God or or make those connections to, you know, think about life on a deeper level just made me think of something that is very helpful for me in my spiritual life. When I was younger, I used to find it really hard to talk to God during the day. I mean, I still do, let's face it. (laughs) But, But one of the things that someone once recommended to me was to find an activity or something that would kind of trigger an interior life and and something that would always remind me to turn my thoughts and my hearts towards God Mm. my hearts (laughs) my many hearts but um the thing that that presented itself to me was birds because Mm. I made a deal with God when I was about 18 that whenever I saw a bird I would think of God because I thought you know a bird is a symbol of us lifting ourselves up towards heaven and then it was funny because I almost received like an answer in prayer and it was God saying well whenever you see a feather it's a reminder to you that I'm thinking about you. And obviously God is always thinking about us because if not, we wouldn't be existing. But for me, that's just a very simple thing that you see on a daily basis if you notice. Yeah. Birds and feathers. Like whenever I see a bird now, I'm reminded to make a spiritual communion or yeah, I love say that. hello to God. And whenever I see a feather, I take it as a personal sign of his love for me. And I mean, it's true, like his creation, the beauty of a feather, the, the symbolism of a feather, but the idea that, that the creator could have moments when he wants to remind me on a very, very specific level that he's thinking of me and loves me. And that is my own thing, but it's a way in which nature can can really touch us um, if we let it, if we, if we tie it into our spiritual life, into our interior life. I love that it's such a deliberate choice that you pick something to yeah. make you think of God. Yeah. That is, and, but I think that comes from an instinct that nature really beckons you to do that kind of thinking I when I was researching this I came across this um I'll have to link it in the show notes it was really nice there was a whole page of just quotes by saints about flowers wow which I think is such a Therese comes to mind I'm sorry but her whole (laughs) her whole spirituality seems tied up (laughs) but the the one that I really loved was from Saint Alphonsus Maria de Liguri and he's actually talking about Saint Simon Sallow and he says that Saint Simon Sallow that in walking through the fields, he saw flowers or herbs, he would strike them with his staff saying, be silent, be silent. You reproach me with not loving that God who has made you so beautiful for my sake that I might be induced to love him. I have already heard you cease. Reprove me no longer. Be silent. I love that, Rachel. That's that's beautiful. Just the idea that nature is this shout to God, this this incredible cacophony of glory. Yeah. Because that's all nature does. It gives glory to God. And I and think and I think it was really observant what you said <laughs> earlier about it being so intrinsic to young people and literature and ch- children's literature that there's something instinctual about it there. And I was thinking, we're going to touch on a few things at the end of like our favourite pieces of art and culture around spring, but... The, one of the ones that I was really thinking of is just all of the Chronicles of Narnia. Because mm. in, you know, in The Magician's Nephew, like the creation of the earth, and then in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the turning from winter to spring. And then uh, Marie and I are in a C.S. Lewis book club, and we, it alternates between his theological and his Narnian works. So the last one that we were in together was on The Voyage of the Dawn Trader, and that end where they're sailing through the lilies. Mm. Like, there's just such a shout of joy in that creation. 
And that's something that we in the modern world have lost. And we've lost being able to just be in nature without, you know, our headphones on, our schedule like hammering at our heads to tell us that we have to be at this place at this time. Mm -hmm. Like we have to schedule in time to be. And they again, they've been doing a huge amount of research around this. They're now terming it, which I kind of hate that they've got this new term for what should just be like walking in nature (laughs) but like it's called like forest bathing and they say (laughs) they say to like leave behind all of your technology don't take your camera and I know like we all love to like capture a beautiful thing that we've seen but there is something about like don't take your camera don't try to keep this this is a transient moment the light is hitting this tree in this way at this moment just for you and it, it will move in a minute and you have to be able to let that go and you're not showing this to anyone else and I always there's I'm trying to think which one it was, but I was listening to one of the talks that, I think I've mentioned this already on the podcast, but one of the talks that Mother Angelica did, she was just describing a walk that she went on with her sisters and they arrived at this glade with this brook and there's this these trout in the river that were gleaming, they're like rainbow scales. And she just couldn't get over how this place was so glorious and giving so much glory to God, even when nobody was watching mm. it, that nobody had to be there to see it for it to give glory to God. Um, that's very much against our modern mentality that everything is about spin everything is about how how you present it how you use it and that that also makes me think of something that I was working on a few months ago with my dad or or really looking at more in depth he is working in a diocese in the states and in upstate Michigan um, upper peninsula the diocese of Marquette they're trying to revolutionize the curriculum there and take it from being a typical um, diocesan catholic school curriculum to being a classical school curriculum. Mm. And what really struck me the most, I would say, about the whole shift in approaches is their attitude towards nature studies and towards science. Yeah, And it's so much more humane in the sense that what he's trying to do is build a science curriculum that really, really teaches children to experience nature and to be moved by nature and by by obviously the scientific like I mean they still it's not just wishy-washy you know how do you feel about this thing like there's scientific a lot of scientific learning going on but it's it's based on observation and on um time spent in nature and a very hands-on approach which is very different from the science that I grew up with which was you know answer these six questions at the end of your chapter on molecules where you have no idea how molecules tie into like the natural world or why why it matters to you or why a bigger picture yeah. yeah it's a bigger picture approach to science and it's it's kind of the old world understanding of get out there and take your notebook and sketch a tree and just be lost in the intricacy and the beauty of the bark of the tree and then ask yourself the questions that come from observing that tree and and try to like it's just such a beautiful and exciting way to look at the world and to look at education and learning and I think it's something that we very much lost in the modern era it's not about how can I use these things yeah and how can I bend them to my will and how can I industrialize them it's very sorrowful yeah it's very like I just think of like the Lord of the Rings the the, the quote about, like, if you break down the colour of white, it becomes all of the colours. Yes. But, like, yeah. Yeah, but you've lost something in that process because you've lost the understanding of what that thing is. And, and even, like, just the not understanding in the sense of being awed by it. And, and awe and wonder are two things that nature can lead us to. And, like, I think we really, really need to make an effort to return to because all of our society seems to be 
against letting us experience awe and wonder. You know, yeah. apathy in education, modern education. Like, my husband was telling me that that here in his secondary school, like, one of the things that impacted him the most, which is, like, American high school, is just how apathetic his classmates were about so many different topics. Like, yeah. there was nothing that really moved them or got them excited. People were not there because they wanted to learn. And I, I think there's something in that in not... <clears throat> in only seeing them as like separate subjects and like yeah. this is your task for this 40 minutes of the day yeah. this idea of a, of a bigger picture I was saying to Maria that we have friends around for our sort of bible and fellowship and catholic group every monday and at the moment we're actually we're watching one of the series on the word on fire institute which is really excellent and we're enjoying it so much but we're doing the course that bishop baron has done on hansers von balthazar and he we're at the third lesson and it just it was almost crazy how much this ties in with what you were saying because he was saying how there's a quote from Balthazar where he was asked what's the difference between you and Rahner this other Catholic philosopher and he was like oh well where Rahner went with Kant as a like a philosopher of like absolute pure reason and Balthazar went with Goethe and Goethe is this figure in Germanic cultural history of tying together all of these things this really romantic like you were saying yeah. the, the truly romantic notion I think people find it confusing that when you talk about someone like Wordsworth as this romantic poet and then you're saying that like that was actually part of a, a mode of thinking that really emphasized science mm -hmm. but it was this approach to science which was looking at the world and looking at it unfold before you and Bishop Barron talks about letting nature ask its own questions and you simply observe it like sit and watch the plant grow and and he even compares it to the the impressionists and Monet and when they painted these paintings of like Rouen Cathedral or the haystacks at like different times of day that like this artistic exercise of saying well I'm going to paint something that morning noon night and capture it at these different stages that that artistic exercise is also a scientific one because you're grasping at the nature of light and the nature of the seasons and all of those things. But it's also so much more than the scientific and the kind of cold Newtonian sense of like, you know, it has to be X, Y, and Z. There's no room for the spirit and the soul. It's a divorcing of, of again, the body and the soul and, yeah. and the utilitarian and the, the spiritual. The cut, cut it open yeah. and you'll have an answer. Yeah, what you know, answer? like you see a deer and it's venison. It's not a deer in yeah. all its glory and all its... Um, and all its being and all its beauty and all its, what a deer is the essence of deer and I think that that is just a really really important shift that we have to make and, yeah and 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 truth that we have to hold on to that nature is something that is outside of us and that's something that we can learn from because it's another creation of God it's another can bring us to another understanding of God that we can't grasp by looking at anything else. So. Yeah. And I one of my favourite examples of this is, and he was actually quoted just when I was quoting the New Yorker piece there, Henry David Thoreau, mm -hmm. and his, uh, the publication of the book that's now called Walden, which is his journal of when he sort of kind of gave up on, on the project of the world and retreated into nature for a year and wrote this diary of just watching nature for a whole year. And I haven't, I haven't read it all. I, the spring section was actually the section that I had previously read, so it, it came to mind but I've been dying to to read the whole thing but he has just such an incredible like perspective of taking a whole year to watch one one pond yeah yeah um, I've actually been to that pond we went in, in high school as uh, one of our field trips and it, that's the thing it strikes you because it's a pond like I mean the average high school kid sees it it's like oh yeah like a stick in the mud pond like it's beautiful and yeah but we we aren't taught to appreciate we aren't taught to stop 
and look. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, it's amazing that somebody could do that. Yeah. Um, and this is a slightly long quote, but I'm just going to quote a section of it here where he says, the change from storm and winter to serene and mild weather, from dark and sluggish hours to bright and elastic ones, is a memorable crisis which all things proclaim. It is seemingly instantaneous at last. Suddenly an influx of light filled my house, though the evening was at hand, and the clouds of winter still overhung it, and the eaves were dripping with sleety rain. I looked out the window, and lo, where yesterday was cold and grey ice, there lay a transparent pond, already calm and full of hope as a summer evening, reflecting a summer evening sky in its bosom, though none was visible overhead, as if it had intelligence with some remote horizon. I heard a robin in the distance, the first I had heard for many thousand years methought whose note i shall not forget for a many a thousand more the same sweet and powerful song as of yore and then he goes on later to say as every season seems best to us in turn so the coming in of spring is like the creation of cosmos out of chaos and the realization of the golden age a single gentle rain makes the grass many shades greener so our prospects brighten on the influx of better thoughts we should be blessed if we lived in the present always and took advantage of every accident that befell us like the grass which confesses the influence of the slightest dew that falls upon it and did not spend our time in atoning for the neglect of past opportunities which we call doing our duty we loiter in winter while it is already spring in a pleasant spring morning all men's sins are forgiven and then uh, this last section i just adore besides this i got a rare mess of golden and silver and bright cooperous fishes which looked like a string of jewels ah i have penetrated to those meadows on the morning of many a first spring day jumping from hummock to hummock from willow root to willow root and when the wind river valley and the woods were bathed in so pure and bright a light as would have waked the dead if they had been slumbering in their graves as some suppose there needs no stronger proof of immortality all things must live in such a light o death where is thy sting o grave where is thy victory then our village life would stagnate if it were not for the unexplored forests and meadows which surround it we need the tonic of wildness to wade sometimes in marshes where the bittern and the meadow hen lurk and hear the booming of the snipe to smell the whispering sedge where only some wilder and more solitary fowl builds her nest and the mink crawls with its belly to the ground at the same time that we were earnest to explore and learn all things, we require that all things be mysterious and unexplorable, that land and sea be infinitely wild, unsurveyed and unfathomed by us because unfathomable. We can never have enough of nature. Wow. That makes you want to just like go now. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the Stop podcast. <laughs> Forget it. Goodbye, Rachel. <laughs> I'm off to a meadow. <laughs> Isn't that just so beautiful? It really is. And that's the thing. That's the thing. I find in myself, when I go for long periods of time where I'm not touching nature in some way, that my soul is almost shrinking. Mm-hmm. And and the moments when I go out, even to our local park, which is an absolutely stunning park close by to where we live, big old trees and a little waterfall. And yeah. Yes, the playground, but a lot of space for nature in the middle of a busy city. It's funny, Maria now lives right beside where I grew up for yeah, the first couple so, of years of my yeah, life, so I know Rachel that, knows I know that park. <laughs> it is a bit of a kind of a magic enclosure. It's, yeah. it's, in a, it's on a crossroad, so there yeah. are two busy streets on either side of it, but it's a big old cast iron railing around the whole thing, and just 
it does my soul so much good to take my little girls out in the morning. And we don't have a backyard. I mean, that's another thing that I find incredibly difficult about living in the city. I'm, I'm not talking about wanting a pond. I'm talking about wanting, like, three feet of grass so I can yeah. grow what I want to grow and just be outside without having to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. But that's another another topic for another day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Like, uh, also when I was living, because uh, like I said, I lived in Dublin until I was about six and then we moved to the countryside. But even when we were in Dublin, like my mum went to such lengths and such pains to bring us to these beautiful places. Yes. And there was this one park, which is still, it is still my favourite park in Dublin. It is still stunning. It's called the Ivy Gardens. Oh uh, my goodness. That's, it's if, like a hidden secret garden yeah. in the middle of the city centre. If, pe- if people are trying to look for it, it's actually I V E A G H. It's yeah. a name, but I yeah. love that it's, it's a name. But the it's the Ivy Gardens, Gardens. But of we, course, overgrown with ivy. <laughs> but we actually used to call it um, Percy's Park because there's a series of uh, Percy books. the Park Keeper. Percy the Park Keeper. <laughs> yes, there's a series of books and animations, which is just really delightful and about Rachel nature. Rachel has introduced my oldest daughter to it, <laughs> much to my joy. <laughs> and, uh, but at the time, it was very neglected, and it was really overrun with brambles and like just nobody was really in there it was very like it it was just kind of like a big mess but I actually loved it as a big mess it was so magical and it's got these big fountains that erupt out of kind of nowhere and these statues that are crumbling and falling apart like it it still is really magical they've cleaned it up and like they've done a very good job but there is something so magical as well about that the The secret garden yes exactly the the great children's classic by is it Francis Hodgson Burnett yes yeah I was actually looking at, there's an edition of it with illustrations by Inga Moore. Oh my goodness. And it's so stunning, I need to buy it for myself. (laughs) But like, even like, going back to the spring theme of this podcast as well, like, it's a time of year where, I don't know about our listeners, but I just get this urge to grow things. Mm -hmm. And like, whether it be on my windowsill and my 12 pots that are cluttering up my house. Yeah. Or like, just the idea of, of cultivating of stirring the ground like the idea of Samwise in the Lord of the Rings the gardener you know making your corner of the world into a growing place yeah Uh, I think Fulton Sheen actually has an amazing quote about how um the that's the link between the amount of concrete and cement that has taken over the modern world and like the city life and how in a sense it's a metaphor for our souls Mm. and how we've been concreting, plastering over our souls and not allowing for spiritual growth because mm. we're, we're putting these hard, effective, eminently practical veneers over everything that means anything. And we're not allowing for, for spontaneous growth. We're not allowing for God to, to stir the soil in our hearts. Yeah. And that's where Lent comes into the picture as well in springtime. It's a very good time for spiritual cultivation. Yeah. For like pruning your soul when it's, you know, of those unnecessary things or those things that, that impede real growth. And I think what you were saying about like it being a time for wanting to to get into it to see things grow like and obviously summer and you can see like my mom grows tomatoes so I always think of like seeing the tomatoes ripen in the oh. summer but there is something about spring where there's such a difference between like the barren dry soil of winter and then the shoots coming yeah. up and you see the first the crocuses snow, the crocuses the snow and the snowdrops and the, the daffodils and there's this like this slowly rising crescendo which is almost in some ways more captivating than the sort of chorus of right. summer yeah the hope of the expectancy and the excitement of a new beginning and there's nothing like a child to really help you see that i've been hunting in that park by our house for daffodil shoots with my oldest daughter mariel and she she loves walking up this hill which is covered in shoots that are starting to grow but 
because I explained to her that there were baby daffodils and that they were going to be growing into flowers if we did nothing to hurt them, she tiptoes through that hill. And it's the, it just, it touches me every time because of her care, because of her desire to protect these little tiny lives that are just starting out um, and her wonder at them. Like she stops and points at them every single time. And we've been to the park maybe since they started showing up like I can a dozen, two dozen times. And every time she's fascinated by the idea of checking on the daffodils by seeing them and, and taking care of them and walking through them because yeah. she wants to be close to them, even though she's trying to be careful. She sometimes steps on one or two. But <laughs> she's trying her hardest to be careful. Of yeah, them, you know? I love the idea of tiptoeing tip-toe through, through the them. daffodils. <laughs> and uh, the, it reminds me of, there's, a, there's an F. Scott Fitzgerald quote which is maybe like a little more sad and melancholy than we're aiming for here but it says that like summer is only the unfulfilled promise of spring a charlatan in place of the warm balmy nights i dream of in april mm. um that like there's almost that like nothing can ever live up to your expectation and well, isn't that what nature does though like yeah. it, it gives us a more tiny to hope touch it's the thing it gives us a tiny tiny shadow of what we can hope for in our next life and like the glory of nature and the beauty of the earth yeah it's just like a calling card or an announcement or a coming soon for for the what we believe is that's, to come and it's so, so exciting it's yeah. so exciting so in a sense all of nature is one big spring yeah which is pointing towards the fulfillment in heaven i yeah. love that and if there's any part of nature that hearkens most to that it's got to be flowers oh yeah oh yeah I'm there's there's such flower. an excess <laughs> and I, I keep coming back to that Sherlock Holmes quote where he's just like oh the flowers are proof of God that like <laughs> yeah. that it's a it's a mark of excess and if Sherlock Holmes could say that I mean exactly the, the incredibly rational <laughs> detective that you share a name with exactly <laughs> but, but that's so much of that points to God that, yeah. that that expectation of more, that like only in God, because he's so infinite, can we expect more? Yeah. And I just wanted to say a little shout out to our culture here in Ireland. Um, I am an American, but I do live here. And I do <laughs> love the fact that if you read old kind of Celtic script and, and, and old texts and um, bardic poetry and prayers and poems from manuscripts, nature is just everywhere and I mean obviously the thing that strikes me the most coming up now to St. Patrick's Feast Day and just having left St. Bridget's I think of um, the prayer that's attributed to St. Patrick, St. Patrick's Breastplate. It's a stunning prayer. Yeah, Rachel knows a beautiful... um, Choral version of it. We actually had it playing as I walked down the aisle in our marriage and up in Donegal. The, the, The... Music piece is called The Deer's Cry. And yeah, it's it's basically the words from St. Patrick's Breastplate. And it just, I'll read a little bit out of it, um, the part that's specifically relevant to this idea that Celtic spirituality is intrinsically linked to nature. Because mm-hmm. these are people that lived, as many other kind of indigenous native peoples, lived off the land. And, and it was part of their being, so of course it spoke to them of God. Everything was enchanted um, in their world. He goes, I bind to myself today the power of heaven, the light of the sun, the brightness of the moon, the splendor of fire, the flashing of lightning, the swiftness of wind, the depth of the sea, the stability of earth, the compactness of rocks. And then I bind to myself today God's power to guide me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to teach me, God's eye to watch over me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to give me speech. God's hand to guide me, God's way to lie before me, God's shield to shelter me, God's host to secure me. 
and it goes into the more famous and more well-known. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ at my left. And it goes on. It's a beautiful, a beautiful prayer and poem. And I, I highly recommend looking it up and giving it a read if you haven't already. Yeah. But it just struck me very much. I was looking through a nature anthology of poetry that we have at home that my little girl loves. Um, and I found a poem, a Navajo poem, which actually is amazingly similar. And it's called In Beauty May I Walk. And just I'll read you one stanza there. Um, with beauty before me, may I walk. With beauty behind me, may I walk. With beauty above me, may I walk. With beauty all around me, may I walk. And it's just that, that, that link between beauty and God. And for us as Catholics, our God, our beauty has a name and a face. Mm. And nature, yes, brings us to that name and that face. But we have something that so many people have, have experienced and touched on, that, that nature is transcendental and it brings us to the spiritual and the transcendental. Yeah. It lifts us up. And it surrounds us when we're in nature. But but our faith gives us the added, added bonus of saying that's a person that surrounds you. You know, yeah. um, It's not just a rock and a tree and a flower. We're not Greeks or Navajos or <laughs> maybe we are. <laughs> but we're also Catholics, you know. Just as an that aside, speaking, speaking of nature, I suspect you'll be able to hear a, a creaking sound. <laughs> it's um, our personal poltergeist. <laughs> um, it's um, my flat has a sort of exterior that creaks in the wind Ooh. which I actually love Ooh. it makes me feel That's like so perfect for this podcast <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm in a big ship when there's a storm but just I've, I've or known... you're in a haunted gable <laughs> but in I'm... a manor of England <laughs> um, so just if you do hear a creaking sound my apologies it's nature it's... making itself heard in this podcast exactly but yeah that sense of of being surrounded by nature and we talked about this a little bit in our episode on Marian devotions where I talked about the language of the flowers and how all of creation is like this narrative that gives glory to God and this is something that I've been kind of more aware of as time went by just like I've always been fascinated by symbols and how our faith and the iconography of our faith is so full of symbolism and certain things mean something and both in the Victorian era where it was more a secular take on this like intense symbolism or symbolic approach to the world, I guess, where there was an actual language of flowers. So if you sent a bouquet of flowers to your loved one, it would say a whole lot more than here are some flowers. Like, you know, like there was a flower for fidelity and there's a flower for lust and there was a flower for loyalty and there's a flower for betrayal. And I mean, you could say a lot more than a sentence with the bouquet of flowers in the Victorian era. And I think that's fascinating and really, really cool. It's almost like spies in florals but uh, you know like your own code but inside of our our catholic iconography as well um, nature has always played a really big part and there is a a modern artist that i absolutely love her name is rose harrington i don't know if that's actually her name that's the name of her shop i have a feeling her name be some maybe something else but anyway, if you look up rose harrington she does catholic botanical prints so she's done a huge amount of research into this yeah and if any if anybody's an expert it's her so can... I, I don't know Maria if you've looked behind you you got one of her prints on your wall wow great minds yeah. think alike and um, <laughs> a, a friend, shop in the same places well a friend of mine gave me the, the morning offering prayer which I put beside my bed yeah so, she is surrounded with, with flowers and yeah but, so, but she she has so she has these stunning pieces of art that actually I think the, the thing that she kind of first became 
famous for, first became known for, were her botanical prints of the rosary. So she takes each of the decades of the rosary and she's done a huge amount of research into medieval common names for flowers. So she'll have things like the lady slipper or there's like a flower, the, the Pentecostal lily. Mm. So she has one flower that symbolizes or represents each of the mysteries of the rosary. And she does these stunning illustrations of the flowers, like almost in a botanical naturary. I know there's a better name for them, botanicum. Anyway, there's a good name for the old kind of fashioned prints of flowers that yeah. artists used to draw before photography. And she does these beautiful prints with the common medieval or folk names of flowers. So, like, she's got, you know, the bleeding heart of Christ being pierced by the lance yeah. and the passion. And um, she's got the bitter herbs of, you know, Christ being taken down from the cross. It's just really, really stunning, the idea that nature used to be so tied up like our our the way we looked at nature was so tied up with our faith because people's minds and hearts were full of their faith yeah so of course the first thing they would think of when they saw a certain flower that was shaped in a certain way was one of the mysteries of our faith and all of creation in that way through language through literature through popular culture became another method of evangelization it was like god stained glass Artists used to make stained glass in churches so the illiterate could learn about the mysteries of the life of Christ and the lives of the saints. In a sense, like giving meaning to things that existed in nature, giving them kind of metaphorical links to the mysteries of our faith, is just a stunning way of re-enchanting the world, re-spiritualizing, re-transcendentalizing things that could just be, you know, a weed. Yeah, if you want to look at it that way. (laughs) There's a really, really wonderful article in the Catholic Herald called... In the countryside, England's Catholic heritage remains hidden in plain sight. It's by Charlie Hart, and it's from a year ago. I really recommend looking it up because I loved that article. But just like a small bit of it, he was saying, On further investigation, it transpires that the embers of Catholic England are happily strewn about my garden, and indeed the valley below our house. They are there in the packet of marigold seeds on my desk, Mary's gold. They are in the clump of ladies' mantle greening nicely under the early spring sun, still called ladies' mantle, even on the Royal Horticultural Society website. They they are in the St. John's Wort I can see from my writing desk. As I walk around the valley now, I am pleased to see these little embers. They join us in an unbroken line back to Merry England, to a time when, perhaps, this valley was rather different, to a time of beef and beer and a dash more colour than we have now. The bright embers of almost a thousand years of English Catholic history remain safely hidden in the countryside. That's just beautiful. That makes me want to go and plant a merry garden today. And that's another thing. There is this idea that's kind of taking off of of making your own merry gardens. Yeah. And it's a very medieval idea as well. It's inspired by this this nomenclature that's sprung up around so many different flowers and plants. And, And planting a very specific garden in the month of May in honor of Our Lady using the flowers that honor her with their names. Mm. I just think that's such a beautiful way of of liturgical living, uh, of making your faith something that's tangible and beautiful in your home. Um, So even if you do it in a pot in your back patio, which is (laughs) probably what I'll be doing this May, or if you can do it on a grander scale, it's worth looking into and it's worth nerding out over. Or like we were saying, like organize to go out into nature with people or on your own, like embrace that ability to just be in nature. Yeah. And to, and if you want to take that aspect of, you know, the names and the scientific learning side of it, then do. But if you just want to go and experience the beauty of the flowers that are there without looking up their names or stressing out about what they're called that's fine as well you know like both of those things are really valuable and really beautiful and really important for us as humans yeah 
But if you can't get out into nature, maybe you're like Maria's parents and it's still snow up to the windows. Yeah. <laughs> they do get out though. They're like constantly going on like ice man walks. So wow. I'm like, yeah, like let me beat a path from our, <laughs> my car to this picnic bench so I can look out over like Superior, like <laughs> sitting on a snow pile basically. That's my mom and dad. <laughs> they don't let it face them. But for the, for just the kind of end of this podcast, we also pulled out some of our favorite. We have mainly, I think some poems. I also have some like paintings oh, yeah. and music and things like that, but just some of our favorite literary and cultural things about spring. And I, I'm going to start off with just a quote from the start of, I cannot, you know, I cannot not quote T.S. Eliot. No, you cannot. I can't, I can't even stop myself knowing that we have a T.S. Eliot episode coming up shortly. And even then <laughs> I'm like... You're not going to use it up. No, you know you've got enough Eliot in your soul, Rachel. Um, but one of the four quartets, Little Gidding, begins, Midwinter spring is its own season, sempiternal though sodden towards sundown, suspended in time between pole and tropic. When the short day is brightest with frost and fire, the brief sun flames the ice on pond and ditches. In windless cold that is the heart's heat reflected in a watery mirror, a glare that is blindness in the early afternoon, a glow more intense than blaze of branch or brazier, stirs the dumb spirit no wind but pentecostal fire in the dark time of the year between melting and freezing the soul sap quivers ah, <laughs> my soul sap quivers with that beauty i have something a little bit more i guess childlike it's a poem by robert browning it's called pippa song mm. and it goes the years at the spring the days at the morn mornings at seven the hillsides dew pearled the lark's on the wing, the snail's on the thorn. God's in his heaven, all's right with the world. And it's, it kind of ties into what you read earlier about, I think it was from Walden, that there can be no wrong. There can be no darkness and no, and no sadness on a day where nature is just full of light and beauty. In spring, it's, it's that, that personified hope. Um, yeah. Or, I often find it interesting that you, with the way the year falls, that Good Friday is often on a really wonderfully bright, sunny day of the yeah. year. That like, you know, you almost feel like nothing, yeah. in, in protest that it <laughs> yeah. should be, like the, the sky should be winter. <laughs> <laughs> but that there is this like, amazing paradox and well inside of spring there is that amazing paradox as well because yeah. i mean even what you just read there from elliot it's talking about the bitterness the the barrenness of the land it's it's the the transition that's so magical it's from the, nothing to everything the yes. hope of the seed of the thing the very tiny quivering the beginning of something that's mm. happening and that really is like our mortality in our life and our 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 experience of dying to live, right? Like mm -hmm. it's the, the root of our, uh, no pun intended, it's the root <laughs> of our Christian faith is that dying so that we may live. Yeah. And that life springing from bitterness and barrenness. And I mean, think of even Advent, the root of Jesse, you know? Yeah. The tiny sapling. Getting ahead of itself, you know, Christmas is winter, but but, but spring is, is our faith. Yeah. So, um, and I think Phoebe once mentioned that quote of like the, winter being like a reset of like a blank slate of white snow yeah. that within it holds the promise of yeah and in some places you do have like the crocuses pushing up through the snow like yeah um, and I, we, we aren't blessed with snow days here not often anyway but i just think that's a beautiful image as well like the splashes of color on the white mantle um, yeah 
And then I have two poems from Jared Manley Hopkins, oh, who yes. I adore. And again, I've was, got one from him as well. <laughs> it was one of the main reasons I wanted to do this yes, podcast. Yes. But plug him enough. I, I mean, the first one is, is very straightforward. It's literally called Spring. <laughs> Nothing is so beautiful as spring. When weeds and wheels shoot long and lovely and lush. Thrushes' eggs look little low heavens, and thrush through the echoing timber does so rinse and ring, the ear it strikes like lightning to hear him sing. The glassy pear tree leaves and blooms, they brush the descending blue. That blue is all in a rush with richness, the racing lambs too have fare their fling. What is all this juice and all this joy? A strain of the earth's sweet being in the beginning. In Eden garden have get before it cloy, before it cloud, Christ Lord, and sour with sinning, innocent mind, and mayday in girl and boy. Most, O maid's child, thy choice and worthy the winning. That's just beautiful. Can I actually also read a, a Hopkins poem? Absolutely. Um, and this kind of goes back to the beginning of the podcast, like the idea that nature is something that we have lost experience of and that we need to reconnect with nature it's called um i think the poem is called the grandeur of god yeah god's grandeur and it goes the world is charged with the grandeur of god it will flame out like shining from shook foil it gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil crushed why do men then now not wreck his rod generations have trod have trod have trod, and all is seared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness, deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, O oh morning, at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods with warm breast and with ah bright wings. Oh, he's just—it's just so beautiful. Because it's just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's really, really saying nature is a hope for us. Nature is a is a flash of the Holy Spirit mm. in, in the darkness of our you know shodden world, where where we wear our shoes and no longer connect with with the earth beneath our feet. Yeah. The second that we let nature speak to us, God uses it as as a trumpet, as a bright foil that pierces through the lethargy of our minds and our hearts and brings us back to Him. Uh, yeah, that's so great. Since we've had two, I'll only read yeah. like <laughs> we could keep going. We should do a Hopkins episode. <laughs> I know. I'll read. I'll read a very short part of the the start of one which i adore because it's so tolkien-esque uh, like you're, you're tolkien not... is another man for this theme, i know right? it's returning to nature and, and down with industrialization <laughs> i know i know it has its good points but not many <laughs> keep going it's called the starlight night and it begins look at the stars look look up at the skies oh look at all the fire folk sitting in the air the bright burrows the circle citadels there down in dim woods the diamond delves the elves eyes the gray lawns cold where gold where quick gold lies oh my goodness <laughs> it's like beauty overdose yeah. going on here it's so wonderful. And there was another poem, which I'll just name, and you should definitely look up, but uh, it's Robert Frost's poem. It begins, Oh, give us pleasure in the flowers today. And it's about that centering and that presence and that, like, enjoying what is right there and right now and what 
won't be there in a minute. A flower, right? Like, yeah. I mean, nature shows us that things are passing, but the more we connect with them in the moment, the more we can kind of tap into the things that don't pass. Yeah, absolutely. And then I said I was going to call out a few other things other than poetry. <laughs> but I have, there's some paintings by a painter called William Trost Richard, who does beautiful landscape paintings. And my favourite is one called uh, A Woodland Glade or A Woodland Landscape. And it has that lush, stilly, dappled quality. And of course, Jared Manley Hopkins, the, yeah. his dappled things. There's something about spring that has that quality of light that's just kind of shimmering through which I love um, and then these ones aren't necessarily like spring but they have that kind of earthy quality to them that I love it's the John Williams Waterhouse paintings you know mm. the mythic ones yeah they have that that enchanting nature feel to them which I really love and then on the music side of things there's a piece called On Hearing the First Cuckoo of Spring by Frederick Delius mm. is it Delius? I'm I not sure it. but it's it's just really really stunning yeah I was looking at different paintings that I like as well and I just kept coming back to this this um, I think Belgian Swiss artist called Brady Barth and she only died I think in 2007 but she just does these beautiful and I, I include them here because I think they have this spring like quality to them. They're these beautiful um, images, religious images for the most part, of the life of Christ and, and uh, a lot of the Virgin and Child. And just this kind of like glowing, innocent, um, childlike, all her all her people just look so, so full of hope and so full of peace and tr like tranquility. And she often includes um, nature bits and bobs in her paintings. That's an unromantic way of putting it. But she has like a, a, a beautiful painting of Our Lady showing baby Jesus a bird so mm. the bird is on her hand and he's looking at it and there you know there's a flowering rose bush in the background and I know you were speaking in your Marian devotions episode about with Phoebe about um the idea of the hortus conclusive hortus conclusive yeah, yeah yeah which is the you know the enclosed garden but she has a lot of kind of those nature aspects and elements that are in the background and I just I just think like when I think of spring I think of her paintings because there is that innocence about spring if you look at like William Blake and all his writing about songs of innocence as opposed to the songs of experience and I was thinking you know the poem the, the lamb by Blake um, yeah. I had to memorize when we were little but that for me and you know daffodils and all that like all of those classic the classical canon of spring just I see that really exemplified in her artwork because it's just this really childlike, beautiful, simple, light-filled yeah. um, depiction of, of our faith. It's very almost iconographic, like it's very ethereal in some ways as well, I love which it. I think is really beautiful. That's yeah. so cool. And then I actually, I took a little bit of time to try and think, because like I was saying, the spring gets a little bit looked over. I think we all know like what a, like a Christmas or a winter movie is, or mm -hmm. like a fall movie, an autumn movie, even like a summer movie, I feel like. There's that I, I, I've often thought about making a list of those, especially the novels that give you that like clammy summer feeling yeah. of like hot. I, I always think of like Atonement yeah. or To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. That like yeah, the lazy days of summer. Um, but I feel like spring doesn't necessarily get like a moment of having like a season of movies or something like that. So yeah. I was putting out just the couple that I really love. Obviously, we already mentioned The Secret Garden. Far from the Madding Crowd. I know that's a book, and I know it's that has. I know obviously. It's probably well, because the main one of the main characters is like a sheep herder and there's like the lambing season but even that. i feel like that kind of 
era of period dramas I was going to say actually Sense and Sensibility oh, yeah. and the Romola Garay BBC miniseries of Emma Yeah, I know they've got the new Emma coming out they also have a new Secret Garden one which looks kind of crazy Yeah, <laughs> there's so many versions of that story already um, though but the, I love the classic 90s Secret Garden I was also going to mention Mary Poppins I feel oh, like yeah. that has that really fresh bright Feed feeling the exactly <laughs> the cleaning of the nursery and the, yeah. and the jolly holiday section I mean Wind in the Willows I don't know if there's any right. I mean, from a literary perspective, that yes. starts with the spring cleaning. You yeah. Know? But why spring clean when you can go down the river and enjoy nature, you know? Like, <laughs> exactly. The whole plot focuses on exactly what we've been talking about. And too. like we were saying with the Bramley Hedge, the spring yeah. story, I was thinking of the Oscar Wilde short stories for yeah. children. I the love The Bramley Giants is that in particular where the, the giant, his short story about how, or the selfish giant. The selfish it. giant, but there's also a series, I'm kind there's of... a beautiful spring scene at the end of that one. The, I think... Like at least I, when I read, I, I listened to the audiobook. I had a very like spring feeling. There's a lot of animals in the other mm. short stories, and um, I liked those the those a lot. I thought about the, the Disney animation of Alice in Wonderland, and mm. you know it opens with her like sitting in that big field of daisies, yeah. and I love that as well. But then You've got bunnies in that one too, yeah. <laughs> rabbits, <laughs> Mad March hares. Oh yes, and speaking of rabbit literature, like what about um, Watership Down? Um, <laughs> just to go back to the children's literature, like I only read. Wind in the Willows two years ago for the first time and I'm really really sad that I didn't have that as part of my childhood and Mariel's godparents just gave her an, a gorgeously illustrated copy for her Christmas present this year yeah and so I just think it's a book that can be enjoyed by children but it's also a book that is eminently enjoyable for adults yeah. so I listened to an audiobook and I highly recommend it if you haven't read it or if it wasn't part of your growing up mm-hmm. um, or if you have children around or, or want to share it with a child in your life it's definitely a classic for many reasons but yeah and I was feeling the same kind of similarly about like Winnie the Pooh like oh, there's a yeah. reason that they're all kind of Beatrix set Potter in, in nature now, yes. yeah <laughs> um, but if you're looking for something that isn't for kids obviously we're talking about the Jane Austen ones but then also it's quite it's quite a tragic film but it does have that real sense of nature which is the Chinese film House of Flying Daggers which is just visually stunning like any of those ones even like Hero they have that connection with nature that's so stunning so yeah House of Flying Daggers even like the more sort of mainstream films of that kind of space of like Memoirs of a Geisha and mm. the the cherry blossoms right. and, and all of those are, are really beautiful I love those and then finally I was also going to call out a couple of podcasts just because I love podcasts that's why I run a podcast so maybe you would like these too I think I've mentioned them before they're a literary journal but it's the slightly foxed they do a podcast and they had two episodes uh one was called nature and story and the other was called well cultivated words so they're talking about actually the botanicums that you were talking Mm. about the um scientific drawings of flowers and then also like the 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 gardening memoirs that yeah. people have. And I really love those. Those are very charming. And then I've just started listening to an episode of a podcast called Cultivating Place, which mm. again is all about like the natural world and gardening. And the episode that I happened to kind of stumble on was Amy Merrick. And it was an interview about her book on flowers. Oh, and it's beautiful. Uh, Tales of an Accidental Florist. And <laughs> I love it. It's been really, really charming and like very inspirational in this yeah, kind I of think area. If I, if I had another life, yeah. <laughs> I, I would definitely have a small flower shop somewhere. Like, be a florist, you know, but not like just for events, but like a gardener. You yeah. Know? set up a friend of mine actually just another side note he showed up at my house he's just a charming charming guy um and he 
just came to visit one morning and he had remembered a comment that I made when I was hanging out with himself and his girlfriend a while ago about how much I loved herbs, or as they say here in Ireland, and I always get made fun of for herbs. And, <laughs> and how much I would love to, you know, have herbs hanging from my ceiling and swags and, you know, have my own garden of cooking herbs and like essential oil herbs and all that. And he just brought over this beautiful book called Jekka's Complete Herbs, I think it is. It's, mm. it's a book that has, it's fascinating because it has history of herbs it has um how to grow them different uses different types of herb gardens um the common name for them many of which are catholic and christian um so that's a really great book if you're interested and i just thought it was a really kind thing of him as well to, to so think lovely. of an interest that i've yeah. expressed and, and that kind of reminds me of it's obviously not quite the same but the um diary of an edwardian country woman country lady yeah i've seen that yeah. but i never yeah i picked it up for... it's, it's on our shelves you can oh, take very it good <laughs> so. but yeah i think that is probably a good summation of places to start yeah. first of all start with the outdoors and here go uh, to your local garden center <laughs> buy a few cool herbs slash flowers to, to brighten up your living space so. yeah and, and and make sure you get out there and take and it, a walk Bring a journal, draw a tree. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess then all that's left is our usual question. After all of these things that you've just told me that you enjoy, is there anything that you're enjoying at the moment? Actually, I thought about that because I knew you were going to ask this question, as you always do. And I think the thing that I most just found sheer delight in the last few weeks is hunk of yarn that I purchased. <laughs> Rachel knows about this. I've been gushing about it for days. It's it's a, a skein of, of yarn, a Donegal tweed merino wool blend mix that I found in our local yarn shop. It's like one of those beautiful shops that's just like an assault of color when you walk in called This is a Knit in the Power Sport townhouse. Um, but it's hand dyed yarn dyed by the daughter of the owner of the shop. And it's called just a name. It was the name that got me. It's called Hallows. And it's just this beautiful blend of autumnal. I know it's very seasonal, but it's, I'm thinking ahead for next autumn. Um, it's this beautiful blend of purples and golds and grays. It's a variegated yarn. I just, the beauty of, of the fiber and the beauty of the colors and all the things that it makes me think when I hear the word hallows, mm -hmm. has just been something that I've delighted in. And I've been knitting tiny cardigans for my daughter's stuffed mass um, out of it. And I'm hoping to make myself a jumper for next fall, but... Just, yeah, I guess the, the blend of the colors and the, the meaning that's infused in those colors by that name, Hallows. Mm -hmm. the, the idea of All Hallows Night um, and all of the things that go with that. I just I just really love it. So I've been enjoying that ball of yarn. Excellent. Things. What about um, yourself? I have been watching, I'm re-watching. I have, I'm... I've only, I think I've ever seen like the first two or three seasons, but I'm going back to show them all to Phoebe. Um, we, we've been watching Endeavor, hmm. which is the kind of murder mystery series that is the sort of prequel to Inspector Morse. And I can't actually say that I've actually seen any Inspector Morse, but I did start watching Endeavor and it's set in the 60s in Oxford. And oh, wow. it's the episodes... Is it, is it BBC or what's the... It's ITV. And ITV. I think the episodes... I keep thinking they were an hour and a half, but that's because I first watched it when it was actually on the television and there was ad breaks every <laughs> like 10 minutes. I think they're only like... But they are a full hour. So they're quite long and, yeah. and meaty. There's there's a lot in them. And um, I always... Are based on books or... No, no. They're just, yeah. they're just a series and there's a lot of like... Like they put a lot of emphasis on the soundtrack and the classical music and um, the vintage vibes. Though. Yeah, it's very lush. It's very like the production quality is super high. I really love it. It's it's like taking a bath. Like obviously, it's there's tense 
intenseness in it. There's murder. There is a little bit like it's not too bad. Like I said, it is P-rated in that Phoebe is watching it, <laughs> but she she says it's like a little bit intense it's for on, her. It's on the high end of the P-rating, but <laughs> but it is worth it. It's so lovely, and you kind of have to pay attention. Phoebe usually is doing crafting when she's watching television, and at the start of each episode, they kind of set up a bunch of tableaus, which then come into play during the episode. So I'm, and there's usually no dialogue in that bit. So I'm always like Phoebe, no doing any crafts for the first <laughs> 10 minutes <laughs> focus on what's on the television and then you'll be able to follow it for the rest of it but it's really lovely I love the aesthetic and the era and the like I said the production quality is great so I would really recommend Endeavour you said Endeavour okay. um, I have to check this out for my personal craft evening so. <laughs> <laughs> um, other than that thank you so much for listening like we said it's a it's a great new season we would love to have a few more listeners so if you'd like to share this podcast or review it or rate it or just give it the stars on itunes that makes a big difference to us and we really appreciate it tell your friends about it but you know obviously just thanks for for listening and it's been such a joy recording this podcast I'm so. looking forward more than ever to my walk home after all that plugging for walking <laughs> yeah exactly and um, so i guess we'll talk to you again soon goodbye, goodbye. This has been Risking Enchantment. Music by Kevin MacLeod. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at SeekingWatson. And you can find out more about me and the podcast at rachelsherlock.com. Thank you and God bless.